The Truth News Network. Texas declares war on the border. And their enemy? The United States. Who do you think is going to win that conflict? More importantly, how will it be resolved? These are questions few have the nerve to ask, but we do. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And your straight talker is Dan Newman. I refuse to let fear overtake my thinking. I have to tell myself that every day, maybe every other day or so. But if we let circumstances that we're seeing and hearing over and over and over about everything, think about the dilemmas we're in right now as a nation. Think about the lawlessness. Think about our economy. Think about $5 gasoline. No, we're not there now, thank God. But I promise you, before the 2024 election, we'll at least take a trip back by that $5 a gas filling station. I promise you, groceries out the wazoo. War, 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 more war just ahead. It seems like every day some new skirmish happens that is trying to pull us into World War III. Well, good morning, everybody. Don't mean to scare you today. Don't want you to get in a fearful situation. We have a bunch of answers. But before we have the answers, we got to figure out what's going on. And what the heck is the reason or reasons for all of this stuff going on? And so we're going to dig into all of that. It's going to be a really important show. Call somebody right now. Tell them they need to get on at least for the next two hours or as much of it as they can give to us. Lots of big news happening around the world that you do not want to miss. We're going to dig into all of that. Congressman Speaker, House Speaker Congressman Mike Johnson. He's got a big week of head for him. Lots, lot more. Stay right here.
Welcome to another week. Welcome to TNN Live on Monday morning. We have much to dig up. Well, maybe not dig it up. It's certainly not dead, but get into today. I don't even know where to start. So many moving parts. Things are heating up around the world. All of this stuff about Jew hating, anti-Semitism, of uh, estimate 2 million London residents got together for an anti-Israeli protest over the weekend. I don't know if you saw any of the pictures. Somebody did an aerial picture of 
one of the bridges that goes across the Thames River, and it was for as far as you could see, packed with people. Pro-Palestinian? Nope, it's really anti-Semitism. Hate Israel. You're going to hear from the president of Iran. Oh my gosh. Speaker, House Speaker, Mike Johnson's on the hot seat. We've got a looming debt default coming toward us in the next few days if they don't get some legislation passed. We'll get into that. And you're going to hear from somebody with some great wisdom. I don't even know if I ought to tell you who it is. You'd probably laugh. I'm going to tell you. George Carlin. Remember the comedian? George Carlin. Back in 2005, he dropped maybe some prophetic words on us looking at where we are now, maybe way back then he looked ahead and maybe he saw something that we didn't see then but we're seeing now. It's kind of spooky. But I want to start this morning off with something with everything that is going on in the Biden administration. Now, you know this. We've got an election coming up less than a year from now. And it's a big deal. And it's getting to be a bigger deal every day. We lost one of the Republican members of uh, the Senate that was running for president, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina pulled out over the weekend, shocked everybody. In fact, his own staff members didn't know it. One of his best friends, Trey Gowdy, they're from the same state. Trey Gowdy was hosting his weekend show on Fox News. Tim Scott came on and the senator dumped Right in the middle of the show and the conversation he was having with Trey Gowdy, his good friend, told him, I'm not going to continue my run for the White House. I didn't think it was going to happen. I felt long-term Tim Scott would potentially be a really good vice president for somebody at some point in the future when he gets a little more exp- expertise under how, under his uh, his feet so he can figure out how to lead us through these dilemmas that seem to come every day. I thought it would last a little longer, his campaign. But he's out. But in the meantime, behind everything, there's this thread of commonality that Americans and people around the world are watching. It's pretty scary for Americans. And I'm talking about our President Joe Biden. He, my friends, is coming undone. And we've been saying that for a long time. Many of you have been thinking that, maybe longer than we have. But now even CNN (laughs) is going crazy and is saying, we got some problems with this guy. We may need to rethink this. We begin this hour with the latest on the race for the White House. Joe Biden sounding confident when it comes to his re-election hopes. That's despite new polling that puts him behind former President Donald Trump in a rematch. Right, Peter Ducey noticed that. He's at the White House with more and his Q&A yesterday. And it all started because we've realized President Biden barely talks about Donald Trump ever. Uh, but we are now within a year of the election, and Donald Trump is the Republican frontrunner. So uh, President Biden went to an event last night uh, in Chicago area, a closed-door fundraiser, and he said, since I took on Trump, we haven't stopped winning, and he hasn't stopped losing. There are some liberals, though, on TV who are not so sure. The Biden-Harris coalition could be called the, the Humpty Dumpty coalition right now. Uh, just falling apart, just falling apart. The, the Latino vote, 
on the ground, the youth boat on the ground, the black boat on the ground. This is this is not good. The Biden campaign is pushing back on that. Despite the hair on fire, sky is falling tone we've seen from media coverage over the last few days. Political predictions more than a year out tend to be a little different a year later. Joe Biden has been counted out time and time again and proved pollsters and pundits wrong. His problems are laid out in this New York Times poll. You've got Nevada, Trump plus 10. Georgia, Trump plus 6. Arizona, Trump plus 5. Michigan, Trump plus 5. Pennsylvania, Trump plus 4. The New York Times columnist Charles Blow is writing, It is ridiculous to ask people to ignore the erosion of Biden's support among demographic groups that he must secure to win re-election. I sense a growing dissatisfaction with Biden, particularly among young minorities, and the war in Gaza is only making it worse. So, we had a chance yesterday to ask the president about exactly this. Why do you think it is that you're trailing Trump in all these swing state polls? Because you don't read the polls out from Gibbs. in 10 polls. Eight of them, I'm beating him in those states. Eight of them. You guys only do two. CNN and New York Times. Check it out. Check it out. We'll get you a copy of all those other polls. Okay? You don't believe you're trailing in battleground states? No, I don't. And uh, true to his word, the president and his team, they got us a copy of those polls that they were talking about. But when you look at them, they are national polls. And four of them are three-way polls that give Biden the lead over Trump when RFK Jr. is on the ballot. Back to you. Wow. So, so get this straight. Mike LaRosa, good friend of the Bidens, worked with Jill Biden, came out and said the re-election campaign's a mess. David Axelrod says, really think about running. And then Van Jones says, this is a train wreck. He's falling apart before our eyes. Not once did I remember, I didn't mention Karl Rove. I didn't mention a former president. This is, these attacks are coming from inside the tent, Peter. I think it's pretty significant. And maybe that's why President Biden was so eager to come and defend himself. You do have these attacks coming from all outside the White House, including by some former officials and people that the Bidens are close to. Um, and we just have not seen a ton of the president lately. It's almost like, um, it, you know, when we came into this White House, he was taking questions from reporters all the time. Uh, but we've seen less and less of him, and his his approval rating has really cratered. So uh, it, it, it's only uh, up from here if you are biden and so it, it seemed uh, hopefully yesterday him being so chatty and so uh forthcoming <laughs> that would be good for you polls, yeah uh it would be great because uh we have a lot of questions and there will be a lot more polls but uh, maybe they are just going to let him try to make the case himself peter it, it's not just you know outside of the white house though there's some people that are within the white house that are saying that they feel like um the president is complicit when it comes to a real res Israel responding to the attack that happened on them. And they're openly leaking to the press about the administration strategy there. So is, is there any word about the White House sitting them down, talking to these staffers that don't like the president's policy right now? We know that uh, there have been some efforts to hear out these uh, groups of Arab American White House staffers who, uh, according to some of these reports, have anonymously been putting out the word that they wish President Biden would consider the, uh, a ceasefire or would be more considerate of the the, cat, uh, the atrocities that are happening inside of uh, Palestine right now, or inside of Gaza, pardon me, uh, with Palestinians. And so, uh, but 
there has not been uh, nobody has actually put their name on anything at the White House to complain about the Israel policy. There was one guy who worked at the State Department who uh, resigned with a with a very dramatic letter explaining and outlining his problems with the administration's policies. But in terms of people at the White House, we we have not heard anybody actually uh, resign in protest. And maybe it's happened and we just don't know about it. But um, nobody's put their name to that. Peter, I don't I don't remember a recent political campaign somebody gets in the White House where there's so much disarray behind the scenes. When people left and right that normally support any Democrat that wins an election at the national level, just because they won means they're good people. And CNN, MSNBC, all the big three broadcast networks, they got to support them. That's just part of the job, right? But they're all looking, shaking their heads. Nobody can figure it out. So Biden did come out a little bit on Veterans Day on Saturday. And instead of coming out and just concentrating on veterans and giving all of those that have served the credit that they need, he decided to get after former President Donald Trump. If you don't respect our troops, you can't lead them. That's coming from Biden's personal X account posted that along with an ad. The ad's based on an anonymously sourced Atlantic article that claimed Trump had disparaged fallen World War II soldiers when he was visiting a cemetery overseas. So when that post came out, Biden was immediately met by a string of criticism simply for releasing a political ad on Veterans Day and posts reminding him of moments he showed callousness towards our troops. You literally call them stupid bastards, said one commenter. The fact that you make a day remembering vets into a political ad, it's disgusting. What a disrespectful way to honor Veterans Day. Spewing lies, spewing political rhetoric. I would expect nothing less from the worst president in our history, regardless of your weakness and your gross disrespect. We are the shining examples of true American spirit. That's what another poster on X had to say. Another account posted the same time Biden looked at his watch as he waited for the bodies of fallen service members to return home from Afghanistan. Remember that? After they were killed in the president's bungled withdrawal? Who will among us will ever forget that? Earlier in the day, on Saturday, Biden had gone to a wreath-laying ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery, where he appeared confused, had to be guided back to his place by a member of the Honor Guard. And I wish I could show it to you, but you can on audio. It was really sad to watch what he did. He looked over at one spot, and he started walking there. He stopped. He looked back over where he had just come from and made a turn to go over there, And then one of the military leaders pointed back toward the place where he was headed and he turned around and they helped him to get back over there. He's lost. He is absolutely lost and doesn't know where he's going. That's not supposed to happen. This is the free nations, freest nations leader, the most powerful nation on the planet. 
and our leader can't even figure out where to go and when to go there. Certainly what to say and when he should keep his mouth shut. That, of course, doesn't happen. He blurts out anything and everything that comes across his mind when he's in public. Maybe that's why they're reining him back in as much as they can. And even CNN is getting concerned about this president and are outwardly saying he needs to rethink this. He needs to kind of step to the side for some other Democrat. Meanwhile, our friend from Louisiana, the brand new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, this is a big week for him. Remember when he was right after he was voted in, to unanimously voted in to be the new House Speaker, he immediately said he was going to go to work, and they have, working diligently to avert a government shutdown. Our debt limit runs out on the 17th. That's four days, four days. He did come out over the weekend with some news, and I've got real mixed feelings about this. He unveiled what they're calling a laddered stopgap funding plan. And what it's doing, we are told, is seek to avert the looming government shutdown. Laddered. Now, let me explain it a little bit. And I really don't get it all myself, but this is what they are telling us. And I understand it in context of what's going on. This is in the form of a two-step continuing resolution. It would fund some parts of the government until the 19th of January and then continue funding others until February 2nd. So I'll break that down in just a second. It's unusual for a plan like this in that lawmakers usually extend funding for all programs until a certain date. And that's the scenario that Democrats really love, and they've been doing these big, what they call omnibus bills at the end of the year, and they throw all kind of spending stuff in there. Most of it, we didn't even know was going to be in there, let alone know after the fact why it was in there and who did it. Johnson opted for the arrangement, this arrangement, the laddered step, to avoid presenting a single massive omnibus bill It's packed with all kinds of spending agendas. That would likely face opposition from those of his fellow Republicans. We know it would. They're after a fiscal restraint budget bill. This two-step continuing resolution is a necessary bill to place House Republicans in the best position to fight for conservative victories. Yeah, that makes sense to me. The bill will stop the absurd holiday season omnibus tradition of massive, loaded-up spending bills introduced right before the Christmas recess. So under this plan, here's how it's broken out. Funding for some spending bills, like veterans programs and bills dealing with transportation, housing, agriculture, and energy, would be extended until January 19th. So that would be, let's see, let's just say, we would have December, and it's a 60-day deal. Funding for the others, and those include defense, the State Department, Homeland Security, would be expended until February 2nd. Johnson's proposal does not include funding requested by Biden for Israel, Ukraine, and U.S. border security. And here's the reason why. He explained this would allow for more discussion about issues on which there's so much disagreement among lawmakers, like more aid to Ukraine and how best to bolster border security. 
Separating out the continuing resolution from the supplemental funding debates puts our conference in the best position to fight for real fiscal responsibility, oversight over Ukraine aid, and meaningful policy changes at our southern border. He continued, with our debt spiraling out of control, the rising cost of Bidenomics hurting families, and our southern border wide open, House Republicans must position ourselves best to fight for the American people. Now, of course, the White House weighed in, and they've criticized Johnson's proposal, calling it, quote, unserious. I don't know how they would do that, but I don't know how they come up with half the crap that they throw out for us and expect us to believe. A statement said, this proposal is just a recipe for more Republican chaos, more shutdowns, full stop. That's from that brain surgeon that handles the White House press meetings, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. House Republicans need to stop wasting time on their own political divisions, do their jobs, work in a bipartisan way to prevent a shutdown. So if you remember a year ago, you remember that bill, that omnibus funding bill that was passed late? $1.7 trillion kept the government running until the end of fiscal year 2023, which ended September 30th. To avert a Government shutdown, Congress passed, if you remember, a 47-day continuing resolution ahead of the September 30th deadline, but then House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to a bunch of demands to kind of settle some GOP hardliners down who opposed the stopgap measure. Among those, the things he gave up, was an agreement on a rules change that allowed a single lawmaker in the House, one of 435 lawmakers in the House, anyone could file a motion to vacate the position of Speaker. And, of course, we know that's what happened. Kevin McCarthy got kicked to the curb, at least from the Speaker position. One of those GOP hardliners, a member of the House Freedom Caucus, expressed opposition to Johnson's stopgap funding proposal. My opposition to the clean continuing resolution just announced by the Speaker to the House GOP cannot be overstated. Now, this is coming from Chip Roy from Texas. He's a real conservative, but he's also generally a pretty positive guy. And he's back on Twitter, or at least X, formerly known as Twitter. Funding Pelosi-level spending and policies for 75 days for future promises, he said, won't work. So ahead of the prior September deadline for a shutdown, some members of the House Freedom Caucus said that voters elected a GOP majority in the House to rein in out-of-control government spending and that Republicans should be prepared to use every tool available to push for spending cuts. We should not fear a government shutdown. That's from Bob Good, a Republican from Virginia, in a news conference at the end of July. Most of the American people won't even miss if the government is shut down temporarily. Some House Republicans disagree with Rep. Mike Simpson, Republican from Idaho. He said it's an oversimplification to say most Americans wouldn't feel the effects of a shutdown adding that Republicans would end up taking the blame for it. We're going to get it. Republicans are going to get it one way or the other. 
It doesn't matter. Democrats are out there already campaigning for the 2024 election against the way Republicans are doing this, which is exactly the same way Democrats in charge have always done it. Simpson, the Republican from Virginia, said we always get blamed for it no matter what. One economist, Daniel LaCall, chief economist at Head Funds Tresses, and an Epic Times contributor wrote in a, a recent op-ed for the Epic Times that a government shutdown isn't the problem. Public debt is. And this is a great point for us to think about because not very many people do. The entire debate is created around the monumental crisis that a shutdown would generate instead of focusing on the cause of it. Excessive deficit spending, and soaring public debt. Your debt, my debt, your state's debt, the government's debt. The United States rising debt and deficit irresponsibility mean more taxes, less growth, more inflation in the future. Government debt is not a gift of reserves for the private sector. It's a burden of economic problems for future generations. Sound money can come only from fiscal responsibility. You know, one of those things like a balanced budget where you only are allowed to spend what you have coming in instead of just giving politicians and members of the White House, whoever's in there at the time, a blank check and saying, hey, go for it. Even if you don't have it, spend it. We'll borrow it. We can keep borrowing it and kicking the can down the road. It's been a circus to watch for me how many people, even a bunch of conservatives, have gone after new House Speaker Mike Johnson. Mainstream media hate him. Hate him. I got phone calls out the wazoo of people that I know, many of them a long time, many years, very conservative people, and they're going after him. He doesn't need to be waving that Christian flag in front of everybody. It just incites people to think he's a hardcore conservative Christian. And they're referencing the fact that he, outside of his office and in his office, he has two flags, the American flag and the Christian flag. And so in keeping with the title of uh, I'm trying to think of the nice way to say it, Legacy Media, the New Republic, they published a story late last week. And of course, it wasn't. it's about Mike Johnson, but it wasn't very nice, of course. They accused him of jetting off to Paris over the weekend for a speaking engagement. Now, listen to this. A left-wing media outlet, as they are, the New Republic, they published a story Friday that accused Mike Johnson of flying to Paris ahead of a potential government shutdown. They produced a story on Friday morning, the New Republic, and it said Johnson dismissed the House. They went out of session Friday. And the reason they did it was so he could catch a flight to Paris because he was going to speak at a conference held by the Worldwide Freedom Initiative. So one of Johnson's people confirmed 
on X that the New Republic's assertion is false, was false, and the outlet then updated its story. Raj Shah, who is one of Johnson's spokesmen, said this, This story is false. Speaker Johnson will not be going to any events in Paris or anywhere overseas this weekend. Another spokesman for Johnson confirmed he is not attending the Worldwide Freedom Initiative Conference. The speaker's not attending. Johnson's spokeswoman, Corrine Day, told the Daily Caller. Corrine Day, I know her personally. All the times that Mike comes on this show, she coordinates the date, the time, and how long it's going to be. They're working their butts off in his office. It's really tough. Everybody that worked for Mike Johnson at any level, they're working twice, maybe 10 times as hard as they did before because there's so much responsibility. And think about all of the incoming phone calls, wanting to have him on a show or get a quote from him or interview him. Throughout the last three and a half years of this show, he comes at least twice a month to speak to you live. I, I haven't even tried to get in touch with him, and I have all the numbers. <laughs> I have Kareen Day's numbers, too. But he is covered up. I can't imagine it. So in this debacle from the New Republic, this jet-off-to-Paris thing, the New Republic appeared to update its story because of what Shaw had said, the Johnson spokesman by adding an editor's note to the bottom, adjusting its headline and opening paragraph. Despite having little more than a week to avert a government shutdown, this is the revised story. House Speaker Mike Johnson seems to have sent representatives home early so he could catch a flight to Paris to attend a far-right conference. That's the original lead. The new version features an altered headline, with a question mark and adjustments to the lead. Here's what it says. Despite having little more than a week to avert a government shutdown, House Speaker Mike Johnson has sent representatives home early. He was also scheduled to deliver a keynote speech to a far-right conference in Paris on Friday. The New Republic article leaves open the possibility that Speaker Johnson attended the conference. Despite confirmation, he's not going to the event. Now they've updated it again. It notes the New Republic could not confirm Johnson's appearance at the event. Johnson became House Speaker, as you know, in late October, and his life since then has been a zoo. Literally a zoo. And it will be a zoo as long he is House Speaker. The president of Iran, over the weekend, he came out, doesn't do this very often, but he came out, made a public appearance, and gave a speech. And in the speech, he confirmed what those were thinking was going on in the minds of Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. You know, her saying that she discounted it did not mean what everybody knows that it meant. She screamed it out on the floor of the house. She was crying in tears. 
from the river to the sea does not mean extermination of the Jewish people. We don't want that, she said. Well, she was wrong. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. Believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. (laughs) Movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Saying it out loud. No spin, only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. Hey guys, we got in a a shipment of uh, 20 ounce, those nice mugs. 20 ounce, you know the ones that got the lid on them, they're coffee cups. Uh, If you want to do a small, soft drink, very insulated, Yeti-like these are not Yetis, but this is the other one that works as good or a little better than Yeti does. Got a shipment of white ones and black ones in. If you want one, if you want one, you may not want one. It's got TNN Live on it and that little logo with me with glasses on and a beard. If you don't want it, don't worry about it. You won't offend me. But if you'd like one, I'll give five of them away. Here's how I'll do it. Send me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org. The time and date stamp on your email for the first five people that send in and say, I want a white one or I want a black one, and put your mailing address and your name, we'll send you one immediately. White or black, got to put that on there. And we'll do the... The first one, the first five by timestamp on your emails will be the ones that get these from this batch. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Okie dokie. I told you, Ibrahim Ricey, you remember that name? He's Iran's hardline president. He was speaking to a gathering of Muslim and Arab leaders in Saudi Arabia over the weekend, and he said that the only solution in the Middle East 
is the destruction of Israel and its replacement by a Palestinian state, quote, from the river to the sea. Now that phrase is the one that got Rashida Tlaib, Michigan Congresswoman, got her censored in the House because that means the extermination of Israel. It's frequently chanted at pro-Palestinian marches on university campuses across the U.S. and the world, for that matter, urban centers in the West. Harvard President Claudine Gay recently acknowledged that the phrase is anti-Semitic because it implies the genocide of Israel's Jews. The Times of Israel said it this way, quote, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi told the summit of Arab and Muslim leaders on Israel's war with Hamas that the only solution to the conflict is a Palestinian state from the river to the sea. The only solution for this conflict is the resistance continuing against the Israeli oppression until the establishment of the Palestinian state from the river to the sea, he said, echoing protest claims sent as calling for the destruction of Israel. By the way, he also calls for sanctions and an energy boycott against Israel for charges to be brought against Israel and, by the way, the U.S. at The Hague and for international inspectors at Israel's nuclear facilities. Does any of that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. Now, we have experience, and Israel has experience of giving something up big and valuable to the Palestinian people. They gave Gaza, the whole 25-mile strip of Gaza. The Israeli government gave that to the Palestinian people in 2005. And they pulled everybody out, all the Israeli people out, and just said, here, it's yours. And if you know anything about the layout of Israel, it's Gaza. It's the only part of Israel that's right on the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, it's right up to the water. Now, we're talking about really prime real estate. Great places for dollars and cents. I mean, massive resorts were built there. People coming from all around the world all the way around the Mediterranean Sea, from way over in Spain on one end to Israel on the other end. People came there. Now, they didn't give this to Hamas. They gave it to the Palestinian civilians, said, it's yours. Well, guess what happened? It's pretty obvious. How do we get from where they were then in 2005 to where we are now in 2023? Palestinians called for a national election. And guess who won the election? Hamas. So what did they do? They took over everything. They just started doing there in Gaza exactly what they're doing there now. What's that old saying you hear here all the time? If it quacks and waddles, it's a duck. So what's, what would happen if Israel just gave the Palestinian people, you got Gaza, hey, we'll give you the West Bank too. Now, don't get caught up in West Bank being on the west side. Gaza's on the west side. 
The West Bank denotes the section of land. It's actually in northeastern Israel. And it's defined on one side by a river, the Jordan River. In fact, in February of this year, I was baptized in the Jordan River there. And so that's the borderline for the West Bank. You can't, you just can't keep people happy. If they get something, they want more. And they, they have no concept of ever trying to get along with Jewish people. I mean, it's literally like it was in World War II when Hitler, he killed six million. It may be more than that. Do you know today there are only nine million Jews in the world? Think about that. Hitler killed six million during World War II. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu over the weekend, he hit back at a CNN host when she, and I can't understand anybody with any kind of realistic uh, journalistic integrity saying this to the Prime Minister of Israel, she pressed Netanyahu to take responsibility for Hamas's attack. Netanyahu hit back yesterday at CNN host Dana Bash, one of my least favorite over there. She pressed him on taking responsibility for the barbarous October 7th attack carried out by Hamas. Now, here's her logic. She asked the prime minister if he will comply with some of his citizens' requests to take personal responsibility for not preventing the attack. She said, I know you say that time for that will come after the war. Why won't you take responsibility now, she, she asked him. I've already addressed that many times, and I said this whole question will be addressed after the, the war. Why not now, she said again. Well, did people ask Franklin Roosevelt after Pearl Harbor that question? Did people ask George Bush after the surprise attack on September 11th? Look, it's a question that needs to be answered, he continued. I think those questions were asked, Dana Bass said. And I've said that one thing that is important, and I've said we're going to answer all these questions, including me, I'm going to be asked questions. Right now, I think that we have to do is unite the country for one purpose, one purpose alone, and that is to achieve victory. That's what I did. We formed a unity government. The country's united as never before, and I think that's what we have to pursue. And what the people expect me to do right now is two things. One, achieve this victory and bring the hostages back, and two, be sure that Gaza never becomes a threat to Israel again. Bash wasn't through. She quipped this question to him. And to Israelis who are disappointed that you still won't take responsibility, you say, Netanyahu kept his cool. He repeated that all of the questions raised about his handling of the war will be answered in time, but said his current responsibility is achieving victory against Hamas. So a poll continued by an Israeli newspaper found that a vast majority of Israelis, 80% say 
Netanyahu bears responsibility for security failures that reportedly allowed for the relentless attack that left at least 1,400 Israelis dead. Now, that's coming from Reuters. Over two-thirds of those in Netanyahu's party also believe he should accept responsibility. The poll surveyed 510 respondents between October 18 and 19. Now, there is a coalition that Netanyahu formed. It's the people that are not in his, in his tent. They are a coalition partner. His leader of that coalition, Finance Minister Bazel Smotrich, said the government and security leadership failed to properly protect the country from a potential attack, but has not taken personal responsibility, according to Reuters. So that's the other side. During the attack, Hamas terrorists raped, kidnapped, and burned Israelis alive, even beheading a handful of infants. That that I just gave to you is confirmed. It is not alleged. Hamas terrorists raped, kidnapped, burned Israelis alive, and beheaded a handful of infants. Over 200 people are currently being held hostage inside the Gaza Strip. Some of them are American citizens. Terrorists threaten to slaughter Israeli hostages on live broadcast if, it, if Israel continued its airstrikes. Four, just four, American hostages have been set free by Hamas. Unknown reasons. The Israeli government agreed to delay their planned ground invasion of Gaza to allow more hostages to be safely set free. You know what's amazing to me? All these brain surgeons and legacy media over here, they think they know everything. And they think because they're at CNN or MSNBC or the big papers, Washington Post, New York Times, they are anointed to be able to diminish anybody that they want to talk to and make them feel like fools because the people asking the questions, the legacy media people, they're endowed with more intellect, more knowledge than any of these leaders could ever have because they're just simply in media And that gives them the right to say anything they want. Now, don't say that's not the way it is. I know media. I am media. I'm outside the big circle by choice. But I know how they think. Truth is way, way down the ladder of what they're after in their reporting. They start at the end of it all the result that they want their reporting to achieve. And then they work backwards and think of the questions that they can try to tie up the people that they're interviewing, tie them up with those questions, and force the end result to be what the reporter wants it to be rather than facts. Are you getting a little bit tired of this process? Because it works that way all the time and has for years and years. There's a new guy that hangs out at Fox News. He's British, Douglas Murray, you see him. He's got a great British accent. He's been over in Israel and been in several other countries over there reporting. And he's a factual guy. I listened to him in three or four interviews. 
with different people on the different networks. And he never wavered talking about, even though they changed the context of questions to try to trick him, but he just laid it out there and let anybody and everybody that's listening draw their own conclusions. You know, like media folks are supposed to do. Here's an example or two. Fox News contributor and British native Douglas Murray is in Israel now. He's getting a firsthand look at the Hamas atrocities, and he joins us live from Jerusalem. Uh, Good morning to you, Douglas. I've seen many of your reports and your television appearances throughout the week. You've done a great job of talking about what you've seen and distinguishing the moral moment in history that we have arrived at. I am curious, though, Douglas, I'm going to jump right into my curiosities with you. When you see London, and as you're expected to see uh, Germany today, and, and maybe on a smaller scale, but we saw it here in New York as well, uh, Columbus Circle, Grand Central Station. How do you explain what you're seeing in the West as a rally, as a celebration of, of as you have said, Douglas, not just pro-Palestinian, but in your estimation, indistinguishable from pro-Hamas rallies? Well, we know uh, that they're pro-Hamas. More than half of the organizers of the London protests yesterday have links with Hamas, as was reported in one of the national newspapers. So the idea that these are simply pro-peace rallies or something like that, it just doesn't hold up. And that's even before you go through the video of the crowds and of people calling for jihad or people calling from the river to the sea, which, of course, means eradication of the state of Israel. Even before all that, you know, it should be obvious what these marches, in fact, are. They're mainly made up of two groups of people. The majority are Muslims uh, and uh, people who, the Muslim faith, who always feel incredibly enraged whenever Israel is involved in the conflict and never come out on the streets when their fellow Muslims are being massacred in Yemen, Syria, or anywhere else. But there's also a sort of second and smaller group in these crowds in Britain, in Berlin, as in America, which is a group of sort of far leftists who basically use this strange imposition of American um, recent interpretation of American history and put it onto the Middle East, which is why you hear people talking about colonialism and um, yeah. f- first peoples and much more. It's, it's, it's a real demonstration of incredible ignorance. Hmm. You know, there's been, you were one of the, obviously one of the people that's been talking for a long time about illegal immigration in Europe and sort of this, this displacement of Western values without having assimilated these massive amounts of people that came um, into the country, into, into the continent over the last, I don't know, 10, 8, 10 years. Uh, are these protests in some way waking up Briti- the British people? Um, or is this sort of like, is there an acceptance that this is who we are now? Um, I think it is waking something up, but there's an enormous strategic problem, you see, which is um, the first people who turn out in protest against these protesters are already, rightly or wrongly, but it's a, it's a judgment call, described as um, far-right thugs and much more. And, of course, that means that much of the reporting from yesterday, for instance, refers to anyone who's patriotic and British who turns out against the Hamas protest. They're called far-right thugs. And all the Hamas supporters are described as peaceful protesters. (laughs) So it's a totally upside-down world. But I do think that the reaction of the police to some of those counter-protesters yesterday and the nature of some of those counter-protesters is going to scare off a lot of other British people from appearing on the streets, turning out on the streets and saying, we just don't like this. So 
um, you know, I, I've, I've always had a great faith in the American public to be able to turn out and counter terrorism on their streets and on our streets in America. But it's much, much more complex in Britain and in Europe, where people are just cowed, I think, into believing, you know, we've sort of all got, got to get along somehow. And that includes the people who call for the eradication of the Jews. I mean, it's just lamentable that it should get to, get to this. Douglas, here in America, when we look at the protests that we see, I mean, there's an Ohio University professor who basically is supposed to be the professor of Islam and peace, and he's calling for the, desol the desolation of, of Israel, he's calling to get rid of it completely mm. and very radical things. So when we see these protests here in our country, most of what we see are a lot of probably, I'm a little bit of a stereotype here, middle-class white liberals that are under the age of 25. A lot of young kids in college being indoctrinated yeah. in some way that doesn't even have life context to apply to this issue. When we look at Europe, is it a similar thing? Is it an indoctrination from the university? Is it the young that are coming out and are, are more a canvas that's more easily painted? You know, what, what are the uh, demographics to, there? Uh, to a great extent, it is. But it, it really is um, American education that has most failed people mm. here, I think. Oh. Um, British universities, all the problems they have, do not have the kind of indoctrination which has led us to see scenes as we have at university after university in the US. You know, mm. with, I mean, after the biggest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, the Jewish students at US universities are the ones being hounded. I mean, yeah. how on earth did that happen? It's much worse, actually, in America at that level. Uh, in Germany, that would not be allowed. Mm. And there would be a mm. much stronger response. I hope there's a strong response in America to this, too. Yeah, you're right, Douglas, but I still think whether or not we're talking about Germany, France, the UK or the US, there's this self-immolation, there's this apology for being the West. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to step up and champion the greatest set of values and civilization that this, right. the planet's ever seen. Somebody at some point is going to have to step up and champion the West. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Douglas, I want to jump right into some. First of all, you wrote the following the New York Post. It's up right now. On a visit to Israel, I have seen the horror that the world must never forget. I know you've seen uh, some of this footage, and I want to jump right into um, a debate that, that, that the viewers watching right now won't have the background on. You were on Piers Morgan, and you, you had this really, I think, a very interesting point. Uh, you weren't comparing atrocities nor soft-pedaling the atrocities of the Nazis, but you said even the Nazis uh, doing what was so awful, knew what they were doing to some extent was awful in that they tried to cover up their crimes or their soldiers, and this is just historically accurate, of the SS, had to do drugs and alcohol to get away with their own moral atrocities. And I'm not sure, I'm, yes. sure, I'm sure not all of them, but this was a real, this is a historical fact. It's why they moved to yes. the camps, because the, the soldiers became so destroyed from what they were doing. And you were comparing this to what you've seen in Israel right now, because you're saying Hamas is proud of what they did. There's no similar uh, yes. shame. Yes, I mean, uh, this is no way, as you say, to soft pedal the atrocities of Nazism. But it is a curiosity of the Hamas videos um, and the, the footage they took that day, as well as the reaction of Hamas leaders since, that they are proud of what they've wow. done. They are proud. If you see the unedited footage, as I sadly have, of the 7th of October attacks, uh, never mind what you can gather from going to the Kibbutzim again, the sites of the massacres that I have, you will know that an additional obscenity of what occurred and what Hamas wants to keep occurring 
is that the is that the terrorists were so proud of what they were doing as they were doing it calling their parents back in gaza and saying look you know father i've killed 10 jews with my own hands get mother on the line i want to tell her how great her son is i mean you know as i say it's not to downplay any atrocities but just to say the world needs to realize this is that hamas is not just a genocidal organization a would-be genocidal organization but one that actually relishes its barbarism and sadism and I think that the world needs to realize that is the case. Mm. It's a, it, I, don't know, I don't know what the takeaway from that is, but it is a stark and ugly reality. The minute I, I saw you say it, it's like, I, you're right. Like, what do we do with an organization that takes pride in we, what we just saw happen? If we know anything for the last two decades, radical Islamic terrorists is a fire you just can't just stomp out. Yeah, and I know the answer, That's, by the way, to my own question. You destroy that organization. You destroy that, that ideology. Douglas Murray. Thank you for joining us. I don't think I've ever heard a nation leader like Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu say from the very beginning of this, after the initial slaughter of all those people where unprovoked the Hamas terrorists snuck into Israel week hours of the morning, October 7th, and killed 1,500 Israelis. I don't believe I've ever seen that kind of barbarism in recent times. I don't know of any. I know ISIS, they did some really bad things. I actually saw several beheadings. We saw people on their knees being shot in the back of the head, but nothing like we're hearing coming out of the Middle East. I just don't get it. One note here before we go to break, and I've got something special I want to tell you in just a minute. But the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, they announced Saturday that a guy named Ahmed Siam, a Hamas terrorist who held, listen to this, 1,000 Palestinians hostage. Now, this is Hamas. They're Palestinian. But not every Palestinian is a Hamas terrorist. But this one guy held 1,000 Palestinians hostage at a local hospital, and the IDF said over the weekend they killed him. The statement from the IDF said this, based on precise IDF intelligence and with the direction of IDF ground troops, IDF aircraft struck Ahmad Siam, a company commander of the Nasser Radwan Company of the Hamas terrorist organization, Two days ago, the IDF spokesperson exposed that Siam held hostage approximately 1,000 Gazan residents at the Rantisi Hospital and prevented them from evacuating southwards for their safety. Ahmad Siam was killed while hiding in the Al-Barak School, where additional terrorists under this command were also hiding and were also killed. Ahmad Siam demonstrates once again that Hamas uses civilians of the Gaza Strip as human shields for terror purposes. This morning at a 6 a.m. prayer meeting that I, I, uh, I'm in every Monday through Friday, over the weekend, I, I've been feeling for some time that it's past time for Christians For United States people, it's time for us to quit 
sitting by silent. And we need to begin to point out and make everybody around us understand what we can see is going on. Not that they can't see it. But here's what's happened through 240 years of this United States of America being here. We've been spoiled rotten. Yeah, we've had some bad things that have happened here, no question about it. But overall, we've had leadership and a populace that support getting together, working for the common cause of the United States of America and its citizens. And everything came secondary and on down the line from that. The important thing was to protect what we have in the way of our government, in the way our society is structured, and the way it's always been in place. We look at what's happening over there, just like we look at what happened in Afghanistan and what happened in Syria and what happened in Iraq. We look at it this way. Man, I'm glad we never have to think about any of that kind of stuff happening here. Our government would never let that happen here. When we come out of this break, I'm going to tell you something and give you some statistics that will blow your mind that says we are right now today, we are ripe for these exact same things that are happening in Israel in the Gaza Strip, in Lebanon, in all parts of the Middle East. Any second, a match could be lit, and boom, everything goes up. Now, while we're doing this break, don't think we're going to get fear and throw it at you because we don't live there. But what we must do to keep from going there is to get our arms around the truth and the facts I'm going to give you some in a minute that will just turn your stomach inside out. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Our puppy's okay. He's a shooting star, okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now, uh, 
Okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride, okay? Okay. Oh, yeah, kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's okay! Okay! Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Like a little John. Oh, come. I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay! The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. Here's what I have to tell you. It's time that we get off our butts and we get engaged. And when I say engaged, we need to not just listen to news, maybe talk about it to our family members, maybe friends. We've got to find some way to initiate some actions to take this nation back. Why? What's the big rush, Dan? What's the hurry? It's There's no hurry. We should have been doing this the whole 240 years we've been a nation. Leadership now in this nation, in large part, way more than half of it, is in the tank for things other than this nation and maintaining it, keeping it free, keeping it strong. More than half the nation. How can you say that, Dan? Well, let's look at some facts, just just some statistics and things for you to think about. Let's just go down the southern border for a little bit. Well, there's we know there's a lot of criminality that happens down there. I tell you all the time, folks, those of you that are regulars, <laughs> there is no way to explain why this is going on. No need to. It doesn't even matter why it's going on. The fact that it is going on, it reveals that much of our leadership I'm talking about from the White House, many in the U.S. Senate, many in the U.S. House of Representatives are in the tank wanting to just leave our southern border, and by the way, our northern border, leave them open, let anybody come in that wants to come in. Well, that sounds like a novel idea if you want to just not have borders. That's not what our government and our country were founded on. We were founded on our government to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. Not for politicians, not for those that have private agendas, but for the people. How do we find the consensus? It's real simple. It's right there in the structure. We elect 435 members. Each one of those members represents one specific congressional district in a state. There are 435 of those. That covers all 50 states. And then on the other side, we have 100 people that are elected by the people to in each state to represent them in our government, but representing our states and our states' issues, being the spokespersons for 
the state they're elected from and the people didn't come from those states in the United States government. That's not happening anymore. And it's deadly. It's deadly. And what's deadlier, if there's a word that means deadlier, is that it's allowed, in fact, encouraged by many of the leaders and many of the American people across the nation. Let me give you some examples. We have four border states. That, that's the ones they call border states. Up north, there's not any big problem yet. But we have four border states along the southern border. California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. I did a massive investigation process through the weekend looking for numbers coming from these four states. And from only one do they aggressively compile and publish numbers. What kind of numbers are you talking about? Well, let me just let me just dive right into it. According to the Texas Department of Health and Human Services and the law, putting all of those together, over 419,000 criminal aliens have been booked into local Texas jails. Now, this is between June 1st, 2011, October 31st, 2023. Now, these are criminal aliens, over 419,000 of those people, of which 292,000 were classified as illegal aliens by Texas and the DHS. Between June 1, 2011 and October 31, 2023, these 292,000 criminal illegal aliens were charged with more than 499,000 criminal offenses. Those criminal offenses included arrests for 933 murders, 62,000 assaults, 9,050 burglary charges, 60,000 drug charges, 1,103 kidnapping charges, 25,000 theft charges, 39,000 obstructing police charges, almost 3,000 robberies, 6,300 sexual assaults, 7,300 sexual offense charges, 6,000 weapon charges. DPS criminal history records show those criminal charges have thus far resulted in over 183,000 convictions, including 457 homicide convictions, 23,000 assaults convictions, 4,580 burglary convictions, 25,000 drug convictions, 316 kidnapping convictions, 9,520 theft convictions, 15,496 obstructing police convictions, 1,607 robbery convictions, 3,000 sexual assault convictions, 3,300 sexual offense convictions, and 2,000 weapon convictions. That's in Texas only. Every one of those committed by a criminal alien, not just being a criminal because their being here 
is criminal, which it is, but because they committed all these crimes while here illegally. Why did that happen? Why did any one of these happen? The same reason so many people are dying from fentanyl poisoning. What are you talking about, Dan? Since Joe Biden, since Joe Biden has been president, each of his three years, because he has refused, not only refused to stop, I'm not going to do anything, basically, is what he's saying. He's refused to change his policies. It's almost like he encourages them to ramp up. Do you understand that the President of the United States, it doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, it doesn't matter. The commanders-in-chief in this nation are the ones who are responsible to see that their various departments enforce the laws of this nation. Joe Biden doesn't enforce immigration laws. He refuses to. He makes no bones about it. He's not going to do it. How can that be allowed? How can it be tolerated? Because of that, now I'm not talking about the stats I just gave you because those were for 10 years. I'm talking about three years of Joe Biden. 100,000 Americans between the ages of 18 and 34, all three years, 300,000 Americans died because Joe Biden refuses to close the southern border according to federal immigration laws. And then you just throw in, and and we could spend days going through statistics and talk, what about this, what about that? That's no big deal, but the unaccompanied minors that come across the border, you know, the ones that we know about, we get them logged in, we get them registered, we help them find places to go live and families and all those kind of things. We find out two months ago, of those kids that have come in on Joe Biden's watch, 80,000 of them are unaccounted for. Eighty thousand kids gone. Well, let's hope and pray that lion's share of those, all of those, if we're praying, let's just pray that they're all safe and they're just not documented where they are. Although I cannot would you in your in your mind, would you be able to tolerate if you were over that department in the DHS or the DHS? Could you possibly be okay with the fact that 80,000 kids disappeared? What kind of person does that? Javier Becerra, he's a secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services that's over what's supposed to happen with those kids. How could he be allowed to even work in a job if those kind of things were happening? How could Joe Biden, how could any president 
be allowed to stay in the White House when they are trampling like nobody in history in this nation has ever done, trampling the rule of law. And who's paying the price? You and I, our kids, a bunch of parents from Central America, South America, countries all around the world that are told, if you bring your kids over here and pay us X number of dollars, we're going to get them into the United States and make sure they get placed in a place where they're going to have all kinds of good things going on. And eventually you can reunite with them in the United States, which is what these cartels have been selling to these people for years and making billions of dollars doing it with no attempt whatsoever, no intention at all to get these kids in places where they're going to be safe. Most of the kids, and this should make you very sad, most of those kids end up in sex trade. Many of them sold around the world. And here we are, folks, greatest country in America, in the world, America. We are the shining light on the hill. People around the world for generations have looked at us as the best place to go. Why? Because we have a structure that is handled to be always of the people, by the people, and for the people. And yet, that's not what's playing out now. But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised. You remember the comedian named George Carlin. He died a few years ago. Um, I never got to meet him, but he was in the Air Force. And he was stationed for a while at Barksdale Air Force Base here in Bossier City, which is across the street, not across the river, from Shreveport. And he was in radio. And I happened to work in that same radio station years later that he had worked at when he was here stationed at Barksdale. And uh, he wrote all over some of the equipment, <laughs> scratched some funny notes and stuff into it, and he autographed them all. But he always seemed to come up with some really good things to consider about life. In 2005... I'll tell you what George Carlin did. He pulled off his cap, whatever he was wearing, and he turned himself into a prophet. I didn't even know he was a Christian, Dan. I don't know if he was. But listen to what he said. I think you'll agree that in at least 2005, George Carlin was prophesying about the United States. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. 
They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this place. It's a big club and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long beating you over the head in their media telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged and nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue, these are people of modest means, continue to elect these rich suckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. Yeah. I apologize. I tried to bleep it out, and I got some of it, but I didn't get it all. Did he get it right? I mean, did he have it right back in 2005? And think about it. If he was still alive then, if he was still alive now, 18 years later, <laughs> do you think it would be even more appropriate and applicable? So where are you going with this, Dan? It's real simple, folks. We better not just wake up and look at it. We better wake up and take action about it. If we don't, we will never survive. Our nation is gone because we, the people, the ones that are empowered by every document that is part of our Constitution or an ancillary document, it doesn't give Joe Biden, the unfettered ability to make all of the things happen that he's making happen with executive orders. It doesn't work that way unless we let it work that way. I'm one American that's sick and tired of watching this nation be pulled apart one piece at a time and people sticking money in their pockets that they get not because of anything other than their last name or their title member of Congress or part of an administration or some 
bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. And unless we the people do something about it, find ways to expose it and do something about it, exactly what he said back in 2005 and worse will happen now. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's biggie bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? When you choose a great-tasting Miller Lite, you're choosing on taste. And that's the right choice, not the wrong choice, because right is way better than wrong. You don't try to do the wrong thing. Wrong on, brother? Back off, and I don't even know you. If someone asks you if everything's all wrong, ask them to pull your finger. Ever read The Bill of Wrongs? It was written by James Battison and John Saddams. Drawing a wrong triangle? Place this protractor at 90 degrees and sit on it. What's wrong around the corner? An 8-foot ex-con named Tiny, and he wants your wallet. That's wrong up your alley, just like the drifter feeding moldy muffin stumps to his 13 hairless cats. Got a wrong hand man? I've got a cousin named Randall with clammy hands. The customer's always wrong? Well, that explains the waiter's creepy grin as I ate my toast. Two wrongs do make a wrong. Am I wrong? Wrong. So don't make the wrong choice. Make the right choice. And choose on taste. Triple hops brewed Miller Lite. Taste greatness. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Great beer, great responsibility. don't want to creep you out don't want to scare you to death i want you to begin to think of what and how to initiate in your life to help make a change we've got to get together if we don't if we don't get together we can't do it i mean it takes more than one although one is a start let me give you an example of um, our education system you heard george corlin when he started that piece He talked about our education system is gone. It's over. There's this school choice thing that has been bandied around. It's it's been adopted in many states so far. Now, what is it? Public education is paid for by citizens' tax money. Uh, Recently, well, not recently, a year or two ago, I was on a project for my 
Big Brother, finding out about public education, the cost in Louisiana, and the tax revenue that is given to the education department for providing and paying for public education across the state. And the numbers broke down this way. The Louisiana State Department of Education spends about $12,000 a year per student in educating them, $12,000 a year. School choice is something, and it's fundamentally structurally based on this premise. Why not give those tax dollars that these taxpayers have paid in to the public education department, give them a voucher for that amount of money for each year for every kid they have, and let this family make a determination of where their kids should go to school. Public, private, doesn't matter. Where they think it's the best place for their kid to go. Think about that process. I'll give you an example. We have six grandchildren. All six grandchildren have or are going through a private school, Christian school. Now, private schools, they cost money, and they get no public money at all. It comes from tuition. The particular school our kids, our grandkids, are and have been going to is Evangel Christian Academy in Shreveport, Louisiana. Christian school, founded by my adopted mother, long time ago. I mean, a really long time ago. And uh, it's a really good school. A lot of the kids in this school can't afford private school. And so they are going on scholarship, 100% or part scholarship. And here's the difference. This school is one of many across the state, across the nation, that are still solidly operating for the children, educating kids. They don't get off in the woods with all of the isms and the transgender stuff. None of that. It's about education. And they let parents have total say-so. Parents are encouraged to get involved. Well, what kind of results do you get out of that thing? I'm a sports guy. Everybody that knows me knows that I am. I'm a football guy. Evangel Christian Academy in Louisiana has played in every division. LHSA, that's the school organization that's run by the state that they oversee athletics. Evangel Christian Academy has won state championships in football alone 14 years. And that they started football in 1980. 14 years top to the bottom in the sizes. They've won women's basketball state championships, boys' basketball state championships across the board. We have kids that are in NASA. We have kids that went to Harvard and all the Ivy League schools. Right now, yesterday, as a matter of fact, if you watched any football yesterday, Graduates of Evangel Christian Academy, five of them played yesterday in the National Football League. Excellence at every level is the top down, the philosophy of the founders of this school and the current teachers 
and administrators that work there. There's no wealth in that school. It's literally year to year. If the state of Louisiana, as I told you, 10 to 11,000 is what they spend a year on students. If they would, in a voucher form, not do 10,000, not do 11, but do a voucher for $7,500 and let these parents and students decide which schools is going to give them the best education for what they want and take that voucher and pay it, there would not be room at Evangel Christian Academy or schools like it. I'm not just talking about religious schools. I'm talking about fine arts. And you know why? Because parents get back in the process, determination of what's best for their kids, and people say, well, the public school system will fail. Well, yeah, it'll fail if they don't get their stuff together. You know why? You give parents vouchers. If they think public school, a particular public school is the best for their kid, they've got a voucher. They can go give it to that school and their kid can stay in public school. But you know, and I know, that would not be what would happen. What would happen is this. Our education system in the United States, which used to be in the top two or three every year, that's now not even in the top 25, would zoom back to promise for kids and dads and moms. They would see an opportunity because their kids were going to get good education, not ground in the politicization, the sexual politicization, all of the isms that are out there controlling our kids' lives right now, and they would be going to whatever school was best for them. And if that happened to be a public school, that's where they go. a voucher program known as Invest in Kids, which provides over 9,600 low-income kids with scholarships, was voted down on Thursday of last week by lawmakers in Illinois. Listen to these details. The Invest in Kids Act offers a tax credit to businesses and to individuals that contribute to a scholarship fund that allows low-income kids to go to certain non-public schools in the state. The program has awarded $75 bucks in tax credits in the 2022-23 school year and helped almost 10,000 students. As the program was voted down, 24,000 students were in line to receive that scholarship. About 72% of scholarship recipients are non-white. The act was set to expire by the end of the year. Democrats in the legislature killed an effort to renew the program. Republicans tried and failed to bring the matter to a vote. You haven't heard anything about this. Students rallied in the Capitol building, urging lawmakers to save my scholarship. I myself was an underprivileged kid that got a scholarship to a high school. That changed my life and the lives of four of my best friends, people of color, who went on to successful careers. That was stated by Republican State Representative Martin McLaughlin. This is personal to me, and it's personal to hundreds and thousands of families that you put in terrible jeopardy, and you've destroyed their opportunity 
to an equitable education. The Chicago Teachers Union contributed at least $41,000 to lawmakers since June 1st, and the National Education Association has contributed $1.1 million since June 1st. What are the contributions for? Fight school choice. The dedicated efforts of organizers and advocates made this triumph for public education possible, marking a significant milestone in the fight for anti-racist, gender-affirming, pro-immigrant, equitable, and fully funded public schools, they said. This achievement is not just a win against a flawed voucher program. Why is it flawed? You and I both know why. It's because they don't control it. The teachers' unions control it. Teachers aren't driving this push to kill vouchers and school choice. It's unions. And what do unions bring to the table? Back in the early 1900s, it was desperate for unions to be created to protect U.S. workers from being taken advantage of by filthy big-time corporate owners of things like mills and very physically taxing jobs that weren't getting paid, weren't working in good conditions, had no benefits whatsoever. Unions were good back then because they got it straightened out, but somewhere back in, oh, I don't know, maybe around the Korean conflict, maybe around the Vietnam conflict, unions realized, you know what? They've got all this stuff pretty much figured out. We're going to lose our, we're going to lose our benefit. We're going to lose our cush jobs if we don't start accelerating and expanding the control that our unions have across this nation. And that's exactly what they did. How'd they do it? Oh, you know how they did it. They got political lobbyists involved in it. And what do lobbyists do? They go find, using money, find lawmakers that will sit down and listen to them and their union reps talk about what they need to do. And they give these these lawmakers buttloads full of money. And look what's happened to the education system in America. The only people in public education that make good money are unions teachers' unions, and they're the ones that drive the boat, that have driven this education system into the ground, and they're doing it because they want control. They demand control. Nothing but total control will be allowed. Lots more happening. Hey, coming up, Gavin Newsom, you may have heard, he's got a date with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping's coming to San Francisco. So Saturday on Fox and Friends, House Select Committee of the Chinese Communist Party Rep Mike Gallagher reacted to cleanup efforts going on out in San Francisco. Now, why is it happening there? I love the city by the bay. I love San Francisco. I've been there a bunch uh, every time I get in in proximity of San Francisco, and I've been in Modesto, California, which is about 100 miles east of San Francisco, a bunch, a good friend out there. But every time I go, I make a swing into the city by the bay, 
and go down to Fisherman's Wharf, Pier 39. Great food, a great atmosphere. I love it. But you know what's happened in San Francisco. It's in horrible condition and getting worse. And it's because of government. Kind of like education so bad because of union, which is governing education. Xi Jinping's coming to town. And Gallagher weighed in, stating that the cleanup efforts going on in San Francisco, they are cleaning up downtown San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom's all over it, making it happen. That's an admission that politicians in the state of California, Governor Gavin Newsom, know San Francisco is an embarrassment. They don't care about their residents. They only care about impressing Chinese communist leader Xi Jinping. Gallagher said, well, let's start with Newsom. That's too ridiculous to let go by uncommented. But for years, San Fran residents have had to put up with rampant homelessness, open-air drug use, assaults, feces-lined streets, still in the name of some twisted, progressive notion of equity. But suddenly... When a genocidal communist dictator comes to town, the ideas of equity suddenly vanish and the streets get cleaned up. It's very weird. What kind of message does that send? It means California politicians like Newsom know that San Francisco is an embarrassment. They don't care about the residents that live there 24-7. They only care about impressing Xi Jinping. If it weren't so sad it would actually be funny. Man, we're running out of time. (laughs) My gosh. Okay, where do I go? Last 15 minutes, I've got some highlights that I want to make sure that we get out because they're time-related. We talked about Dana Bash earlier in that interview uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu. She did another biggie on Friday last week. She discussed her upcoming special anti-Semitism and stated that when she did a special on it before she got pushback for noting that anti-Semitism on the left was casting an anti-Zionism perspective. And what is happening on college campuses is very much now an explosion because of unchecked bias. And in some cases, downright prejudiced on college campuses at the professorial, as the professors at that level, at the student group level. And university presidents have failed to combat a huge problem that has become dangerous. Bass said this, the last time we did this, it was very clearly violence erupting from the right, from the hard right, white supremacy. That's their go-to accuser for anything and everything that goes wrong. Existential threat, the number one in the nation, Chris Ray, FBI director, white supremacy, white supremacy. Hey, have you been to all of anywhere? You can go any night of the week to a white supremacy get together at all 50 states, right? I've not heard about one. I've not seen one. I've not seen a white supremacist rally, a meeting, or anything. 
But yet, summer of 2020, more than 400 quote-unquote demonstrations that really were riots across the nation, destroyed billions of dollars of public property, killed cops, put eyes out of cops up in Portland. All of these were Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and the list kind of stops right there. But of course, Bash plays the white supremacy card. And she continued, and we did a segment on what was happening on the left, which was slow going, and we got some pushback about the notion of anti-Zionism being really anti-Semitism, meaning you can say you're against Israel, but not really be full of hate for Jews. Can you put that together and comprehend it? What the heck is anti-Semitism? What is anti-Zionism? Israel is Judaism. Now, not every Jew on earth lives in Israel. I get that. But that is their home. She said nobody pushed back on that now because of the connection to the violence here in America, the threats here in America and around the world, specifically after October 7th. And what is happening on college campuses is very much now an explosion because of unchecked bias. And in some cases, downright prejudice on college campuses at the professorial, professorial level and at the student group level. And university presidents are starting, some of them to speak out, but not enough. And that is very, very much something that we learn needs to be a part of the solution. It is really systemic at the university level, and it's a huge, huge problem that became dangerous. They won't listen to us. Now, when we listen to you, we get sick at our stomachs because you have no sense of understanding how foolish it makes you sound when you play a race card, an ism card of any kind, and make that both the cure and the victim of the same conversation. That defies comprehension to me. I was going to do a segment today really deep into Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential run, and there's a reason for that. We all need to know what he stands for because he's getting bigger and bigger pieces in these um, polls that come out, which means he's going to be a player, and he may be dividing Democrats and or Republicans and could put someone in office that most Americans don't want in office. So what are his, Kennedy's, policy priorities? I took this from his website. One, to free government from the corrupt influence of mega corporations in Wall Street. Two, end forever wars and restore the military to its proper role of defending the homeland. Three, to redirect the trillions we spend on global military dominance to the rebuilding of America's infrastructure, economy, and middle class. Four, to repair the economic devastation that has spread across black, rural, small-town, rust-belt minority, and farm-belt communities. Five, to secure the border. Six, to restore and protect our constitutional freedoms. Seven, to end government censorship, surveillance, and secrecy. 
and bring transparency to government. Eight, to address the chronic disease epidemic in America. Nine, to clean up the toxic pollution in our soil, air, and water and protect our wilderness areas. Ten, to cut inflation and housing costs, shrink the deficit, and reduce the debt burden on American families. Did you listen to those 10? Let me ask you this. What political party does he come from? He sounds to me, and that sounds to me like a Republican. What about you? How's he going to cut inflation? He answered it. One, keep the dollar strong by reshoring industry. That means bringing them back and stopping the weaponization of the U.S. dollar that is eroding its reserve currency status. Two, cut housing costs with a federally-backed 3% mortgage program. Three, cut health care costs by getting pharmaceutical industry corruption out of our refulatory agencies and health policy. The U.S. spends double, double other advanced countries on health care with worse outcomes. And number four, reducing inflation by reducing government deficits that inflate the money supply by cutting defense spending and corporate giveaways and making big corporations pay their fair share of taxes. You want to know what his policy on Ukraine is? He says he'll stop using Ukraine as a geopolitical pawn in the game of world domination, which has cost Ukraine hundreds of thousands of casualties and the U.S. hundreds of billions of dollars, all to no avail. Kennedy will negotiate the best possible diplomatic settlement, which will likely include withdrawing U.S. missile batteries from Russia's borders, no more NATO expansion, Russian withdrawal from occupied territory, U.N. peacemakers in eastern Ukraine, and an end of sanctions in order to improve the global economy. Now, He's been known for many, many years as being the father of anti-vaxxers. What's his position on vaccines? I'm going to give you the one currently, and I'm taking this from his website. Mr. Kennedy is in favor of safe and voluntary vaccines. Whether in the case of vaccines or any other drug, he will ensure public safety by freeing the FDA, National Institutes of Health, and the CDC from corporate capture so that proper science can be done free from conflicts of interest. Doctors and members of the public can then make their own health choices based on unbiased information. Honestly, we need to elect this guy. He sounds like the perfect fit. Now, nowhere on his website does he talk about how he's going to do all that wonderful stuff, And then there's this. Isn't that what every politician promises that runs for president anytime? All of the spicy-sounding, appetite-devouring stuff they're going to do to make the world better for all of us. They're going to do it all. Never tell us how. Because they don't know how. Oh, man, I kind of like this. 
to get out of the show today. It's been a while, and thanks for being here. We're going to send out those mugs that we promised you. We'll do that quickly. And, of course, we're going to circle back and be here tomorrow. We want you back here. Steve Baker will be here in hour number two. It's Tuesday. He's got a lot of stuff to share with us. Big news coming out over the week and the weekend. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. On a Sunday afternoon Really Couldn't get away too soon I can't imagine anything that is better The world is ours whenever we're together there ain't a place I'd like to be instead of moving down a crowded avenue, doing anything we like to do. There's always lots of things we can see. Can't be anyone we'd like to be And all those happy people we could meet Just moving Ooh Day by day, life would be ecstasy.